Hi there, I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for downloading Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first ever time listening to the show, thanks for being here. We'll get to the juicy bits in a minute, but I should let you know that this podcast has been running since 2013 and I have a great team that helps me make this show twice a week, Rachel and Andy. And I need to pay them because they're bloody good at their jobs and people who are bloody good at their jobs deserve to get paid, man. So to help pay them, I'll occasionally play a commercial. Now, you may or may not hear an ad right now. If you do, thank you. You're helping me pay these two fine humans. If not, you'll hear Zali Stegall say something awesome. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Climate policies and debate have been so divisive in Australia for the last 10 years. My predecessor was certainly a big part in why they were so divisive. He played that for personal advantage and really against the greater good of the country. So we really need to focus now on bringing everybody together. So my approach, having done a lot of mediation as a lawyer, is you've got to get everyone in the room and you've got to talk about what do we all have in common? What do we agree on? Before we all debate what we disagree on, what can we agree on? You know, do we agree on a safer future? Do we agree on the on the basic principles that there are impacts that we need to deal with? Some people are more receptive to the facts than others. But what I find comforting is over 80% of Australians accept that this is a major challenge that we need to deal with. So I think everyone has to grow up and deal with it. (laughs) That is former Olympic medalist in skiing and independent MP for the seat of Warringah in Sydney, Zali Stegall. And this is episode 361 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Thanks for downloading the show. If you've never listened before, welcome. Glad to have you. This is a show called Better Than Yesterday. All I'm here to do is help to make you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you hear on today's show will help you make today just a little bit better than yesterday. You go to bed tonight and go, you know what? Today feels like it's a better one. And that's it. I'm here twice a week. Mondays I speak with a guest. Fridays I speak with you. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host and an author and a dad and a stepdad and a bicycle rider and a soon to be living with a new hip. Um, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I'm getting a total hip replacement. It's going to be awesome. What else am I doing at the moment? Oh, I'm an interior insulation installer to the pod attic and office mover from Sydney, Australia. And I, uh, yeah, I'm here twice a week and I'm grateful to be a part of the show. Yeah, it's been an interesting week. My uh, my nephew's come to live with us, which is rad. He's a cool kid. And so the pod cave has become the pod attic or the pod tower or the pod castle. I think I might call it the pod tower because that's a cooler sound. Pod castle. It's not really the castle. It's more of a tower because a tower implies that it's small, which is where we are. <laughs> it's quite cramped. And my father-in-law and I had to put some insulation inside the walls because it was just a bit hot up here. Uh, but yeah. Uh, that's where I am right now. And um, yeah, it's great. Thanks very much to everybody that has been emailing. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'd love to see where you are. Just take a photo of what you're looking at right now with your phone that you're listening to this on and shoot it to me. Send us your email at gmail.com. I love to see it. Love it. It's great. It's called a podsy. I'd love to see what's going on in your world. Where you're watching, what you're looking at while you listen. What are you up to? What are you doing? You're gardening, doing laundry, looking after kids, walking dogs, driving. Don't take a photo if you're driving. Get someone else to do it. Do it when you're pulled over. Yeah, please. That'd be nice. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks heaps to everyone that's joining me on Twitch uh, lately. Uh, you'll notice that the Friday episodes, you'll hear that I'm interacting with people in a chat room. That chat room is a live chat room and I desperately enjoy it. You know, there is a thing called Facebook where there is a group dedicated to this podcast, but to be honest, I find it far healthier to not go anywhere near Facebook. So as much as it maybe enriches other people's lives, I'm happy to not go near it. So if you do want to get involved and, and come and say hi to me, I will talk to you and chat with you and interact with you. And it's really fun. Just find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Osher is where you can find me. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, if you follow me, I'll let you know when I'm live. I tend to, if I'm riding my bike, I tend to ride my bike in Wolfie's first nap, uh, which at the moment is in the mornings. But I'm definitely there in the afternoons on a Thursday. But if you jump on the Discord as well, I've, I'm on a, I've got a Discord server, uh, which you can find in the Twitch chat. You just type exclamation point Discord and it'll give you the details. I'll let you know when I'm going to be live. I'm about to work on a project. I'm working on a project for the next three weeks. So I might be on and off a little bit out of whack, but I'll definitely let you know plenty of time in advance of uh, when I'm going to be chatting because I really enjoy it. I think it's a really it's a really nice way to interact with people because it's live. I'm there. You know, you could email me or you could write a comment in an Instagram post that I make. But to be honest, I do read the emails, but not till way later. And um, the Instagram posts, I, I tend not to go on Instagram really, Haley puts it all on there for me and I tend not to check it because I found that I was obsessively checking it, searching for dopamine and serotonin and that's not good for me. So I tend not to do it. But yeah, you can find me on Twitch because it's really good. It's like we're having a chat, like a conversation and I really enjoy it. It's really good. Twitch.tv slash Osher is where you can find me. Oh, as well, I've been having a blast making all the cameos for people. Cameo is an, I know I'm plugging two apps now. Uh, Cameo is an app where you can record a shout out like a birthday or happy anniversary. Uh, what have I done? I've done a, I did a, we're having a baby announcement the other day. And uh, I did something for someone's payroll department. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I'm giving all the proceeds to the FRR because people would always ask me for videos and I never knew how to send it on an email and, and whatever. But it's all tidy. It's all in one app and it's really good. And the money goes to charity. So it's an easy way to raise money for charity and we can both do it and feel good. And um, they're all organized and collated in one spot. And um, yeah, so just find me on Look on an app called Cameo and search for me. You'll find me. You'll know it's me because it's my face. And yeah, you can find me there. So Zali Steggles on the show today and she's extraordinary. 
she has a bill that is going before Australian Parliament in the next number of weeks. It's the Climate Act. It's a proposed law to ensure safety, security and prosperity of Australia by achieving net zero emissions by 2050. She aims to table the Climate Act next Monday. So she's going to need your help. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But before we get there... If conversations about the possibilities ahead of us that we can take advantage of and grasp in our hands, if we choose to as a country, uh, when it comes to facing climate change and tackling climate change and trying to mitigate the effects that climate change will have on our communities, on our existing communities, and how we can help adapt those communities and have prosperity while doing so, if those kind of conversations are something that you kind of dig, then you might be interested in episode 344 with Eitan Lenko. He is the chairperson and interim CEO of an organization called Beyond Zero Emissions, and they want to bring one million climate-related jobs to Australia. You want to talk about jobs and growth? Baby, it's all in renewables. Here's just a little taste of that episode. The story was there. It's a moral challenge. We need to get on top of climate change because we want a planet that we can live on and we want our kids to have good lives. It's going to be more expensive because the technology is not as mature, but it's worth it because all of that stuff is obviously worth it. But now we're in a really interesting situation where actually that technology through a lot of hard work that's happened in, you know, across the whole world through deployment of those technologies, they've come down in cost so much that they're now the cheapest form of energy. So we're saying we need to do this, you know, in order to have a habitable planet and all that stuff. But it also happens to be the most economic way forward for our economy. And for Australia, it's amazing because we've got the best renewable resource in the world. So actually in a world that does this, we've got a a massive competitive advantage as well. So the economic facts have changed. But that's got to get across into the public consciousness and then into the political consciousness for us to realise actually this is an opportunity, not not a threat, and it's something we should really lean into. That's just a little slice of Eitan Lenko. Uh, scroll back in your podcast feed to 344, ep 344 with Eitan, to give you a bit of uh, further listening around the conversation that I'm about to have with Zali Stegel. Okay, so let me tell you about my guest today. Zali Stegel is a former Olympic athlete. She, well, she's a lawyer, she's a politician, but she, you know, she first came to prominence as, a, as a, an Olympic athlete. She was a skier. She won a bronze medal in the slalom at the uh, Winter Olympics in Nagano in 98. She also won the world championships in 1999, um, the gold medal. In the, in the Winter Olympics, she is um, Australia's first individual medalist. She's the first female medalist, and she's the only Australian medalist in alpine skiing. She retired uh, from skiing in 2002, and she kind of got right stuck into <laughs> right stuck into becoming a ass-kicking lawyer. Uh, absolutely. She worked as a barrister in family law, in sports law, uh, commercial law, property law, government and planning. Uh, She did heaps, heaps of work. She then served as counsellor to the New South Wales Bar Association and she was the chair of the Health, Sports and Rec Committee uh, from 2010 to 2013. She is also the independent member for the seat of Warringah in Sydney. Now, why is that seat important? Because that seat was held by Tony Abbott. Many people have tried to unseat Tony Abbott from that seat over the years, including uh, my dear friend James Matheson, but Zali did it. Zali made it happen. And to put an independent in that seat, a seat that was a diehard, died-in-the-wall, staunch liberal seat, 
that really says something about what the country actually wants. Do they want what Abbott et al. were delivering or do they want what Zali is delivering? And clearly, the market has responded, the people have spoken, and Zali and her message is what they want. Zali is putting to the Australian Parliament, uh, she's going to table the Climate Act on Monday, the 9th of November, 2020. What is the Climate Act? The Climate Act is a proposed law to ensure the long-term safety, security and prosperity of Australia by achieving net zero emissions by 2050. Now, what really is this? It is essentially an agreement, I guess the way I would put it, is an agreement of like, this is where we're going to stand when we make decisions about pretty much everything to do with how we run our country for the next 30 years. So we're going to build a new highway. Okay. Well, if we're going to get net zero emissions, how are we going to build that new highway? What kind of vehicles are going to run on this new highway? We're going to build a new school. Okay, great. We need more schools. Education's awesome. How are we going to build that new school with our goal being net zero emissions? How can we ensure that in the construction and the running of this school, there will be net zero emissions? Like It's basically making sure that we can put that as the underlying premise of all the decisions that we make going forward. And- I know what I know. You know what you know about climate change. I don't need to tell you, but I swear to God, if I was an MP, all right, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of induction where they do what you and I do when we get inductions. We click through the PDFs and go, yes, I've read that. Yes, I've read that. Yes, I've read that. Great. I'm now inducted to this site. I'm sure there's some sort of induction that you can't click through and they sit you there and the guys from ASIO come and come in and go, right. <laughs> here's the biggest threats to our country for the next 50 years. And I'm going to guarantee you, uh, climate change is up there. So as far as our national security goes, as far as our health goes, as far as our environment goes, and very, very importantly, as far as our economy goes, climate change is really all we can talk about. And I'm very grateful that someone like Zali is on board and tabling this matter to parliament. Where you can help is this matter is going to go be tabled uh, next Monday, the 9th of November, and you and I can help Zali by getting in touch with our local member of parliament and letting them know that we support this and we really, really want them to pass it. Now, I've mentioned before plenty of times on this show about how to talk to your member of parliament, how to contact your member of parliament. I have sent many a letter, many a fax. I've made emails. I've, I've spoken on the phone. I spoke on, on one of these, uh, one of my Friday shows about my conversation with my local member. It's really, really important that you reach out. So take the time this week. Just do it. Take the time this week. Find out who your local member of parliament is and do the triple threat. Send an email write a letter, yes, with a postage stamp and everything, send an email, write a letter and make a phone call. There are people who, and I send faxes too. I found some online fax sending service. Send a fax because there's people at their offices who read every one of these things and they may have, I don't know, 100,000 people in in the electorate. But if 600 letters come in, 600 faxes come in or the list of phone calls goes, these are the things that people wanted to talk about. They read that every day and they go, oh, hang on a second, there's something here. And they listen. It's really important. This is really fucking important. This is a chance for you to do this. There's an absolute chance for you to make a massive, massive effect and a massive difference in our country and our future. To find out more, go to climateactnow.com.au, climateactnow.com.au. Sorry for the noise. The pod tower 
isn't quite as soundproof as the old one, but that's okay. You're listening to the beautiful sounds of my family doing wonderful family things. So it's super important. I don't know how more I can say how important this is because we as a country, if we want to be at all invited to any conversation internationally in the future, we have to commit to net zero emissions because there's no fucking way that the EU or, you know, Central America, South America, there's no way any of these countries are going to talk to us about or listen to us if we're not on the net zero situation. It's just not going to happen. We just risk getting left behind. We risk getting left behind by countries like New Zealand, uh, one of our closest neighbours and allies, by the UK, by Canada, by the EU. It's super important. We have to do this. If you just do one thing this week, look at your children, look at the little people around you, think about yourself in 30 years and go, oh man, uh, where's my life? Where's my career? Did I do everything I possibly could? Do it. Just do it. Get in touch with a local member. I've recorded a whole podcast about that. You can scroll back and find it. I'll tell you exactly how to do it. Get in touch with your local member. It'll take you 15 minutes of your day, but it'll really be very, very important. So please, please do it. Climateactnow.com.au. Please support uh, Zali Stegel as she pushes this act towards parliament on the 9th of November. Now, a note about this show. You'd think that if you're a sitting member of parliament, your internet connection would be pretty good. You know, you uh, <laughs> you live in the seat that was formerly, you know, run by Captain NBN, Tony Abbott. But no, for some reason, the internet gods were absolutely against us on this day. And let me tell you, we went from video call on a Skype to we tried then a Zoom, then we cut the video. We ended up on the phone. I just kind of kept downgrading the, the, the bandwidth, but don't worry, the quality of the conversation is there the whole time. So thank you in advance for understanding that we had a really tough time communicating with each other, but what Zali has to say is well worth it. And I absolutely, I, I didn't want to wait to get this show on. So this is our chance. This is our chance, my, my dear friends, you and me, we've got to work together to make this one happen. Get in touch with your MP. Get them to support this bill. This is going to be the first of many things. All we're going to talk about for the next 50, 100 years is decarbonisation and net zero emissions or negative emissions. That is all we are going to talk about. I promise you. And we have to lie in bed at night and ask ourselves, did we do everything we possibly could today? And today I'm asking you to reach out to your MP and let them know so you can lie in bed tonight and go, yeah, I did my part today. Take you 10 minutes. You've got 10 minutes. Climateactnow.com.au. You can find everything else about Zali. Zali Stegel, Z-A-L-I-S-T-E-G-G-A-L-L. That's where she is on Twitter and online, zalistegel.com.au. And that's it. Enjoy this conversation with Zali Stegel. How are you, Zali? Very good, Osha. Thank you. How are you? Well, look, you know, it's interesting in lockdown time. It's uh, definitely an exercise in uh, trying to be in acceptance of the things I can't control, like, I don't know, the decision to only put uh, copper to the home when it came to <laughs> the internet. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, look, I mean, it is challenging. I think it's one of those things where as an athlete, um, it was something you always had to learn to deal with of, you know, you can only focus and worry about what you can control and you have to learn to let go of what you can't control. So, you know, I think it plays a really big part in your acceptance of the situation and uh, really, you know, looking at this opportunity with lockdown of, what are the things you can maybe achieve and get done? I know a lot of people are doing a lot of things around the house, but also, you know, setting a routine for yourself makes a huge difference to how you, you handle the the Groundhog Day feeling of it all. It is. Now, when you when you obviously you refer to you as an athlete, now, let's not beat around the bush. You are one of our country's all-time greatest <laughs> Olympians, you know, an absolute pioneer in winter sports for a country that doesn't really have mountains such as hills that get cold and icy and you rose to the, the to play on the, the the highest competition we have in the, in the world which is the, the the Olympic Games when it comes to acceptance can you recall a moment where there was like you know this kind of field of dreams coaching moment where your coach you know kind of took you aside after a a, a run where you might have come unstuck and and crashed at 100 squillion miles an hour into a lift pole <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, you have many of those moments, I've got to say. Look, look, it was a long time ago, but funnily enough, the situation we're in now has brought a lot of the memories back because I do remember a coach telling me at 13 that, you know, you're talented, but there's others that are more talented than you and you're just going to have to work hard, but not sure you're going to make it. So typically, and funnily enough, I, I saw something like that on the Michael Jordan uh, documentary that's been showing. And it's one of those things of often when you're told you're not going to be able to be good enough at something is what spurs you on to train harder and be better at it. But look, I studied by correspondence. I used to travel a lot. So, and as an individual sport, I had to do a lot of things on my own. And, you know, I had to be really organized with my training programs, my fitness training when I was in Sydney, and also my studies. So I did my HSC by correspondence, which is from home, you know, and my university was mostly from home. So it's one of those things where learning to be organized and being accountable to yourself of getting the jobs done that need to be done. I had to learn that from when I was 17. So uh, the current situation we're in is not dissimilar. Um, We've just got a little bit more technology available to us, which is really good, I've got to say. But it is challenging, but uh, I think we all have to look for the silver lining and find the opportunities. Zali, I'm I'm fascinated. You have an extraordinary background. Like For one, my kid plays water polo against your old high school in um, <laughs> Dad and Balmoral there. And it, it's wild. I was like, oh, I'm, I know exactly the school you went to. <laughs> very, very big. You know that my first year at Quimble, we actually, we well, we won the national championships for the ski, um, Australian ski team um, school championships. Oh, so, you know, all from the slopes of Balmoral Beach. Amazing. But I was, I'm just kind of wondering, there's things that, you know, I learned in when I was a roadie. All right. I used to be a roadie, lifting heavy road cases and running lighting rigs and things like that. I did that from the age of like 17 to the age of 21. I started in radio. And there's things I learned during that time that still serve me today. And I'm wondering, is there anything that now when you're standing there at work, you know, in camera, <laughs> lessons that you might have learned from, I don't know, flying down 20% grade at Park City with flags coming up at you every three seconds, <laughs> trying to not miss a turn. Uh, is there anything from those days that you still use every day? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I mean, I think one of the most interesting times was probably during the campaign last year. We I had a couple of uh, forums and debates that I had to do with our previous uh, representative for Warringah, and uh, some of those debates were pretty heated and quite confrontational. So, um, you know, there is that fight or flight reflex that you really have to, you know, deal with. And that's something you have when you're competing at no matter the level you're competing at. There's always that point in the start line where you've got to decide are you going to put it all on the line and can you, you know, can you get into the zone to do that? And you do have to overcome, you know, the adrenaline and everything else that happens. So, Yes, I would say the lessons I learned in sport, I carried them through my practice, you know, as a barrister in front of a judge. You have a lot of fight or flight moments where <laughs> you have to think about, you know, when you get put on the spot with really tough questions. And there's certainly been, you know, situations that can be really confronting and very adversarial, you know, where people can be very negative and in your face. And you really have to just be strong internally, stick to your position and, you know, be sure of, of the point or what you're trying to achieve or what you're trying to do. And, look, I always think and always say to my kids, what's the worst that could happen, you know? Thing is not the end of the world, so you've always got to give it a go regardless of the situation. I can't. And I've only met your. It's like he's he's he whose name we shall not speak. I've only met. <laughs> I've only met the person that used to sit in the chair and the seat uh, that you now occupy once, and that one was when I was campaigning for James Matheson a couple of years ago. Ah, yes. And I got. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to respond to this, and that's totally fine. I was handing out flyers at the primary school there where people were voting. And this bloke comes striding across the quadrangle. No lie, Zali. I'm like, who walks crotch first? Oh. <laughs> Many people, I should say. But it was the gate. It was the, watching the man's gate. I'm like, well, of course you are who you are. Look at the way you walk. Look at the way yeah. you present yourself to the world. Just this part of your body, bef- it breaks the air before the rest of you does. And I, I can't imagine what he's like in a, in a debate, but I'm guessing... That is a tactic. And as you mentioned, you know, you're trying to introduce a bill that requires every side of government to go and agree on something. Yes, this is a problem. And yes, we need to do something about it. But I I get that a person like him gets into that job because they're the best at playing the game of pushing someone so far off their balance, they just give up and then they get their way. And that that's kind of how I feel when I look at Australian politics. In many ways, that's how a lot of it gets done. Yeah, look, I find it's it's certainly been very interesting. I find I get that opportunity to observe a lot of people. I, I guess I'm in it. Um, I still feel as a bit of a newcomer that I'm observing a lot of people, especially what goes on in the house, you know, question time, the, the theatrics of it, or the false consternation and outrage is, is quite tedious, really. I, I really think we should be there to do more of the hard work and less of the theatrics. But it, it certainly is a place with a lot of people with, I would say, fairly big egos and big ambitions of what they want to do. And and for me, it's really about remembering why you're there. Are you there for the benefit of your community and, and trying to advance policies and social outcomes that will benefit a lot of people? Or are you there for your personal ambition? And, and I think that probably categorises a lot of people in the place. But yeah, there, there is a lot of that. But you know, it doesn't really intimidate me because I'm between the world in sport, there's plenty of mind games that go on. And you know, 
whether it's a physical strutting or whether it's the mind games, there's always a lot of that in the start line and around events. And look, as a barrister at the bar, you had that a lot as well. You know, there's plenty that goes on at that bar table that the judge doesn't hear. All oh, right. Oh, a bit of table talk like you have in the poker game or a, a bit of sledging like you might have on the basketball court. Lots of sledging. <laughs> Putting people off. So, and look, look, journalists don't always pick up on it, but even in the chamber down in Parliament, there's a lot of sledging going on. So, you you know, you'll often get people from uh, various sides basically calling out why you're making a speech, trying to put you off because it's not actually on camera and it's not caught on microphone. So all the record will show is whether you were hesitating in delivering your speech, but what's happening physically in person is quite different. You might have people heckling from the sides. There's a couple of young liberals that have a tendency to do that as soon as we talk climate change and uh, they're repeat offenders. doesn't really put me off. It's, I just think it's you know fairly childish, but it's interesting how that does happen. So, A, number one, I'm really grateful that you and I can speak today. The day that I went on Q&A was the day that you dropped the Climate Change National Framework for Adaptation and Mitigation Bill proposition. And people can uh, go to climateactnow.com.au if they want to go and pop their name on the petition to get it presented. When you are talking about something that requires... I don't know, an acceptance of a version of reality that most people are accepting. And yet you're standing there in front of clearly someone who's probably educated a very elite school, someone who's worked their way up through whatever pathways it takes to get to be sitting there in that seat. And they're shouting at you. What makes you think they're doing that? Yeah, look, I I tend to think it's back to schoolboy, you know, bullying or intimidation. I I think it reflects poorly on them rather than the debate. I think this is such an important question. I mean, what we're seeing with the crisis now is it really is important to listen to the science and it's really important not to leave it to the last minute because the measures you have to take are very drastic, you know, really damaging and have long-term consequences. So, you know, I've been really pleased and thankful that we've reacted well as a country to the warnings to what we need to do on the virus and it's been effective so I really hope that uh, everyone has the maturity to actually go right okay we've accepted the science we've followed the science we've followed advice and look how well it has served us it is time to actually acknowledge that we need to be more proactive in our action when it comes to the biggest threat that we have ultimately, which is climate change impacts. Now, I totally appreciate there are different levels of understanding and belief and people are influenced by different things. And we need to all come together on this. There's no doubt that climate policies and debate have been so divisive in Australia for the last 10 years. Look, you know, my predecessor was certainly a big part in why they were so divisive. He played that for personal advantage and really against the great good of the country. So we really need to focus now on bringing everybody together. So I tend to, you know, my approach, having done a lot of mediation as a lawyer, is you've got to get everyone in the room and you've got to talk about what do we all have in common? How do we, what do we agree on? Before we all debate what we disagree on, what can we agree on? You know, do we agree on a safer future? Do we agree on the on the basic principles that there are impacts that we need to deal with? So some of those conversations work better than others, depending on who I'm talking to. You know, I've tried to I've discuss the climate change bill with One Nation. I've discussed it with Jackie Lambie. I've discussed it with coalition backbenchers, with Labor. 
with the Greens, with my fellow crossbenchers. Now, clearly, some people are more receptive to the facts than others. But what I find comforting is over 80% of Australians accept that this is a major challenge that we need to deal with. So I think everyone has to grow up and deal with it. (laughs) I've been speaking about this a bit on my show the last couple of weeks in that in the last month, goodness me, Australians like me who failed maths in high school have suddenly gotten incredibly good at reading a graph, seeing a doubling line, seeing a curve that marks where we are and where that curve is predicted to go, seeing a level of capacity that we best not overwhelm if we want to be okay, and understanding that certain things I'm going to have to sacrifice and, you know, understand that it's for the greater good of all of us. And I'm not alone in that, you know, and yet the very same graphs the very same doubling lines, the very same capacity thresholds exist for temperature. And if you and I spoke, say the day after you proposed this bill back in, uh, I think it was January, say if we spoke the next day and I said, hey, Zali, in 10 weeks, we're going to have essentially uh, free childcare. We're going to have what accounts to possibly something you could equate to universal basic income. Um, we're going to have national free telehealth for everyone. <laughs> you know, and working from home is going to become the new normal. You'd be, you're out of your mind. What kind of socialist paradise is this, Ginsburg? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, but it, there's no blueprint on how you respond to a situation like what we're in. So I think, you know, to be to totally give credit, the government has enacted measures that on best advice are the way to go. From an economic point of view, we're not really going to know the outcome of a lot of these measures for three to six months, like issues of unemployment and really in money in the economy and how whether or not businesses are going to be able to reopen, which the purpose behind a lot of the measures like JobKeeper and some of the loans and, and different measures were around enabling businesses to be able to reopen past a a closure period. Now, we don't know if that's going to work or not, how many businesses are still going to be there in the next few weeks when hopefully we can lift restrictions. But what it showed, rather than looking at the measure in themselves, it's what it showed was a willingness to try something new, to change the status quo, to adapt our situation. And that's what I find has been so sorely lacking when it comes to response by government to climate change impacts. It's been, uh, no, 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 let's be cautious. Let's not take the lead. Let's not encourage the rest of the world. We've always done it this way. It's too hard to change, you know. One of the hardest things in climate discussions is there is a level that's going to come from government and from policies and implementing certain incentives. But there isn't going to be a requirement on people to change part of their behaviour. And and that's actually the hardest thing to achieve is for people to change behaviour. And what we've seen with the virus is how quickly so many of us have been able to change dramatically our behaviour. So, look, a lot of it's been mandated by government, you know, in terms of forced closures and things, you know, you get fined if you don't comply with the social distancing regulations. But it's really going to be interesting to see how willing people are to say, right, you know, well, that wasn't so painful. I was able to change that behaviour. Am I prepared to carry that through to another risk? Now, climate is occurring over a bigger time frame than what this virus is. So, you know, whether people have that same sense of urgency when the time frame is different is something that we really need to keep talking about so people don't put it off to later. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a big part of the messaging around COVID-19 is I was speaking with um, an Australian rapper, <laughs> calling him a rapper is not, he's like an extraordinary activist and speaker and writer and, and creator, a guy by the name of uh, Briggs. And he was saying that, you know, that night, I think it was 13th of March, he's like 10,000 people didn't go to Bondo Beach out of spite. They went because the messaging was all over the place. The messaging to people by and large has been, hey, it might not affect you as badly as other people, but this is exactly where it's going to go. We have the example of Italy and Spain and China. Like, this is exactly what will happen if we don't do this. We've got people splitting ventilators. We've got people being triaged on a tarp in a car park of a hospital. And one person goes, this person's got four kids. That person's got two kids. You get the ventilator. You know, and we could go, we do not want that here. And we can all see that in stark relief to what we're doing right now. And we can make that call. But yes, you're right. Over the, It seems like over the last few years, because it is such a terrifying and urgent and incredibly important thing to act on, those who are interested in getting others to act have been using imagery that is so confronting and so terrifying, it can kind of shut people off. Has this been a trouble when you're trying to discuss this with people who are in the decision-making um, situations? Yeah, well, I guess not a problem for me because I think that's probably what differentiates me from other groups, you know, and I think there is a place for everyone in the debate. You know, that's the whole beauty of democracy is you can't, you know, you, you need to have that variety of opinions. But, you know, the hardcore activist does not automatically speak to other sections of the population. So there are, I think there are parts of the population, especially people probably with a political kind of belief to the centre, where they've, I think they've been a little bit left out by the, the status quo. You've had uh, the, the coalition has moved further and further to the right and conservative. I think they're very strongly held to ransom by uh, very negative conservative voices. And then you have a much more sort of socialist, progressive agenda from a Greens kind of point of view. And so where does the more centre-aligned person find a representation? And I strongly object to the idea that climate change or the environment is just a left or right issue. I don't believe this is a political spectrum. You know, maybe the type of response or the policy measure might be different depending on your ideology, but the concern for it and the fact that we should make it a priority should be bipartisan across the board, doesn't matter where your belief is, because it goes to that inherent long-term our security as a as humankind you know we have to take care of the planet we need to have a livable environment so from my point of view that's where it's sort of been interesting that no you know my rhetoric and where I come from is a position of I don't ever want to see perfect be the enemy of good I think we need to get everybody on board that's why from my point of view we need to set that benchmark of a net zero by 2050 in legislation so that it's not up for debate by the sort of more conservative elements. Mm. And it sets that benchmark of what we need to be, what's our outer deadline kind of thing. Of course, there's the more activists want to see it sooner than 2050. And I said, you know, if we can achieve it sooner, that's great. But we need to actually get this legislated and we need to get everybody on board to get those first steps taken. I think with change, the hardest thing to do 
are the first few steps of getting things going. After that, you you know, you, you do a lot better technology and so many other things come to play to make it possible. I always make the analogy of, you know, if you decide you're going to go and run a marathon, you don't just do nothing and at the last minute hope you're going to make it. You actually have to look in the goal, you know, of what is the distance you hope to achieve. And then you have to set a training program so that you can gradually build your capacity to achieve that. I, you know, I think this is no different. We, we absolutely have the potential and the capacity. Our state governments are all committed and show are showing the way. Now we need um, the federal government to be future focused. Yeah, I just wanted you to explore that idea. You don't want perfect to be the enemy of good. Can you take us through that? Uh, yeah, look, I think unfortunately, you know, there's always uh, maybe it's something left over from mediating in, in lawsuits. Of course, you know, when you're acting for a client in court or, or if you're debating a point, everyone's got their absolute wish list of everything they want to achieve or win out of an argument. But you have to be prepared to come to the negotiating table and mediate and to find that common ground, what can you agree on, and find the the workable solution that everyone can get on board with and that then will gradually, I think, the benefits will flow. I think, unfortunately, if you aim for too much, you end up not achieving it or maybe even achieving less. So I think it's really important that... We are all capable of change. So from a legislative point of view as well, I know many would like to legislate, for example, a net zero much sooner than 2050, but we have others in members of the government who are using the wording of uh, the Paris Agreement to suggest that we don't need to get to a net zero until sometime in the second half of the century, which could be 2070, 2080, you know, and that would be a terrible outcome. So... I think we have to set a benchmark that everyone can work towards and then keep on improving it as we have the capacity to do that. And so, yeah, that, that's why I'm a big believer in the climate change bill setting a realistic and an achievable outcome, which is the net zero by 2050. It puts the federal government in step with state governments. It puts us in step with over 80 countries around the world. You know, the UK are strong on their climate change bill. So I really think it, it is an opportunity for the coalition to lead the way and really properly align itself with, with an important objective. If there's one thing that, you know, coalition, uh, liberal national coalition in Australia, sorry for people listening outside the country, and they're not liberal, if you're listening from another part of the world, if there's one thing that they love, it's cash. And as a country, we could become, in the words of Will Anderson, the catter of clean energy. We could become an energy superpower. We could kind of lay a foundation for that the next 150 years our children will have enough money to do anything they freaking want if we play this the right way. And when you're presenting this to the more kind of liberal national kind of coalition people, surely they can see the economic benefit of making a change towards something like energy independence or making a change towards focusing on renewables for the economic aspect, particularly now when we're exploring reshoring manufacturing. Yeah, look, I think that's where we're at an interesting time in that we've sort of compared to 10 years ago where there was still economically, you know, the cost of renewables wasn't where it is now, but the curve in terms of the dropping in price for renewables has just been so amazing over the last 10 years and all the predictions in relation to dropping in cost of 
storage of batteries is very similar. So when you're talking to Liberals or the coalition and nationals, the whole point is free market competition, economic opportunity. So it should be a no-brainer that they embrace new technology and those opportunities that are coming with it for us to be market leaders. It is so important. Uh, I've been you know, really incredibly lucky to be able to talk to top economists like Ross Garneau, like uh, Roy McGibbon and Tim Buckley, where they can really run through the numbers and why there is so much opportunity in Australia. I mean, as a continent, we have the most natural resources when it comes to sun and wind. This is a free resource. You've got a capital investment of setting up, you know, your, your large-scale solar plants or your wind turbines. But what, then you have a free element in terms of keeping it going in terms of the continued supply of energy. So there's just no doubt we have a huge amount of opportunity and it does sort of defies belief why are we not embracing that opportunity. Now, I know change is difficult for a lot of people and there's no doubt coal has played a huge part in our prosperity. You know, if you think from post-war World War to now, it's played mining and coal has played a huge part. But that's not a reason not to continue evolving and looking for that competitive advantage that we can have compared to the rest of the world. So my argument, I think at the moment that we're at a point in time where you can really put your argument when it comes to what we need to do on climate, and we talk a lot of energy because energy and its production is 50% of our emissions. So clearly it's a huge part and we have so much potential there to really make a difference on our emissions. There's no doubt that The economic argument is won by renewables. It is the cheapest form of power. We need to sort out backing it up, the storage aspect. Clearly, there's hydro. There can be some small part for gas, but really is not the part that the government are pushing. It's a much smaller percentage. All the predictions by AMO are that really it will play a very small part in our energy mix. And then it's looking at developments of battery storage and much smarter appliances. We have one of the highest take-ups of solar PV, especially residential, in the world. So we know there is opportunity. And I really, you know, will be advocating for our stimulus coming out of this, the pandemic and the virus, is we're going to need to put some stimulus into the economy, focus on where are our opportunities and where are long-term opportunities, not just short-term opportunities for vested interests, but long-term opportunities where we know there is a market, we know um, we're not going to end up with stranded assets. Now, if the government chooses to focus on fossil fuels, the private sector is, is not on board. You know, you won't get private funding and investment for fossil fuel projects because they know they will be stranded assets. And I think, you know, the Australian people have done the right thing through the virus. We've all shut down. A lot of people are feeling a lot of pain, you know, a lot of economic pain and social pain. There is a duty from the government to make sure that the the rebuild and the stimulus is a long-term positive outcome. Uh, I look at our younger generations and there's no doubt they are going to carry the burden of this period in terms of the economic outcomes, you know, um, this next generation are going, you know, it's not going to be the same prosperous, I think, environment as we've had for the last 10 odd years. But we can't also burden them with an environmental death of, of just continuing on with high emissions. So I think there's absolutely a duty to make it a smart, future-focused stimulus. 
And we have this extraordinary opportunity now to do it. I was saying the other day, it's it's kind of like the stay of execution in the prison film as you're walking towards the, the gallows because you take one look at the data and it's super clear where we're heading. There's no ifs or buts about it. You know, we hit 1.5 to 2 degrees and the West Antarctic ice sheet collapses. That's it. You know, we've seen what happens when you run out of toilet paper. Like, what's going to happen when we get <laughs> three meters of more sea level? Like, system after system after system just collapses on top of itself, and then what we know is society and community and everything just goes away. And then we're living on the Fury Road, Zali. And I don't want that. Yeah. Right, let me ask you this: I know it tried. They tried it in the seventies, and it got shut down real quick. What do you think standing in the way of us setting up a sovereign wealth fund for the the minerals that we'll need to drive this renewables boom? Um, look, I'd, uh, standing in the way, <laughs> probably political will. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of, I think, you know, the superannuation sector has a huge uh, opportunity in how it invests funds. You know, the biggest access to funds in Australia is through superannuation. So how that all gets invested is really important. Look, unfortunately, successive governments repeatedly will do short-term political gain over long-term investment and strategy. So, you know, I do support lower taxation, but when there's opportunities to invest or to really plan for the future, I think it would be good if governments were more focused on doing that. So uh, there's a range of ways in which we can be dealing with it and planning better for the future. So um, that is one option. Uh, I, I don't think the political will is there for it at this point, and especially you know in the current situation, it's going to be really difficult. But th- look, all the scientists are telling us we have a window of opportunity in the next ten years to flatten the curve. You know, we yeah. need to reverse the curve on our emissions. There's just no doubt about that. So we need to get started on that. I think it's unrealistic to think that you're going to just shut everything down and do nothing immediately. I think everyone, it's got to be done in a gradual, sensible way so that we're in a timely way moving on from old technologies and replacing them. But there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that the government could be focusing on and I'm really urging them to focus on. And that's obviously with the energy sector, we have a number of coal-fired power plants that are ready to retire. Most of the companies operating them have their succession plan ready and waiting, but the government is really holding it up. So I think that needs to be done. We need to evolve our transport to more electrification. And, and as we clean up our energy production, you obviously can then electrify transport much easier. Uh, we need to look at our agriculture industry. There's so many ways. There's a great report released by Climate Works a few weeks ago, which probably didn't get the attention it deserves because it was looking at across the key sectors, how do you achieve your net zero by 2050? And it's very much achievable. Mm. We just need to be focused on it. What you said there, using language that we are now very familiar with, using language like flattening the curve, that is something that we react to instantly. We understand that, oh, this is important, and we understand that flatten the curve means I have to play a part in keeping my community safe. And the the thing is, on the other side of this, it's jobs, it's abundance. So that's the thing that the messaging that I don't know. You mentioned before about people who are quite passionate and fair enough too. If, if, you know, if I could see a train coming and we're sitting on the tracks, I would want to yell and scream and get us, hey, we all have to get out of the way. I get that, but that might not be the effect most 
most effective communication to get as many people as we need mobilized. Talking about the the extraordinary abundance that's possible on the other side of this change is, is a, for me, I feel uh, very, very important. Can I ask, what is it about the bill you feel will give investors confidence to take their money out of, as you say, things that could become stranded assets or take their money out of, say, for example, an energy play and go, right, this is clearly the way forward. The government has put this bill in, therefore, I feel confident putting my money in there. Is that the reason that you want to put this bill together? Well, the bill is, look, when I came into Parliament, it was very much looking for solutions. You know, we need to change the way we've, we're, this debate has been going on and we need to be doing more. There's no doubt the coalition is not doing enough and this idea that the 26 to 28% is sufficient, it's not even close to getting us there. And in reality, you know, all the numbers prior to the shutdown of the virus were showing that the real reduction was only to the tune of about 14% oh. under actual government kind of measures and that's why there was always a discussion of using the carryover credits which I must say I saw your comment about you know it's like telling your second wife you did your dishes for your first wife so I don't need to do them anymore I totally agree you don't get credits so I, I liked your analogy so that was part of that debate so the act is very much this is ironically mirrored on conservative legislation for the UK the UK have had a climate change bill since 2000 2008. Mm. It had bipartisan support and it is current policy under Boris Johnson's government. So my, my encouragement for our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is this is not difficult policy to adopt for a coalition government. In fact, we have three state coalition governments in Australia who are all committed to net zero by 2050. So really the only person out of sync here is the federal government uh, and the Prime Minister if he can't get on board with that. So what the Act does is it introduces accountability. So it sets up a climate change commission that will independently report to the Australian public on how we're doing on our emission reductions and what its advice to the government is on the areas and the goals we should have to meet a net zero by 2050. And it breaks down that goal into five-year carbon budget periods mm. in terms of how much we should reduce so think of it as a training plan. Over each five years, you have to achieve certain things. Yeah. Now, sure, you can have an upset, you know, you can have an injury, yeah. but that doesn't mean you throw everything out. It just means you have to adjust your plan for the coming weeks or the coming five-year budget period. So that is what the bill introduces. It introduces a framework that holds government to account to deliver on plans and policies to reduce and holds it to account over a period of time that is longer than what we currently have. So at any one time, you would have three five-year budgets in play. So business and private sector can look at that, look at the commitment and have confidence. And that's why the BCA supports the climate change bill. It, it provides that certainty that beyond an electoral cycle, just Let's be real. At the moment, we have an election every three years. <laughs> Federal government policies are completely geared around that. It becomes a show of who's going to win government. It's not about long-term policy. We have the coalition's commitment to 2030 with the Paris Agreement and 26 to 28%. But there's no visibility on what happens beyond 2030. The government certainly hasn't come out with anything. And there's no visibility on exactly how that's going to be achieved. At the moment, we're only tracking for 14%. So God. where's the rest going to come from? So 
I appreciate a lot of these figures were before the pandemic and before the shutdown, and we have had a reduction of emissions as a result of everybody staying home and a lot of manufacturing being shut down. But nonetheless, you require planning and accountability. So that's what the bill provides. It's not prescriptive on technology. So it totally leaves open for the party that is in government to come up with the policy and the plan that they want to take to the Australian people at election time in how they will deliver the goal. But what it does is it achieves that we all agree on what our goal is and then you can find out the how we're going to do it or how you're going to achieve it. And the Australian people will have clear accountability by the Climate Change Commission to see whether or not it's actually being achieved. So you can have proper reporting and proper independent facts available. And we've seen with the pandemic, you know, and through the bushfire season over summer, having experts there on the news every night telling us exactly what is going on is really important. And I think that's why even on climate, we need to get beyond the politicians talking about it and get the experts talking about it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There is, oh my goodness, there's so much to talk about. But you mentioned after the bushfires, there seems to be such a disconnect between, from what I can only gather, like the majority of Australians' wishes for action on climate and what the government in power is going to do. Why do you think that disconnect is there? Uh, look, I think the disconnect is that whilst the surveys will tell us 80% of people of Australians want action on climate change and are concerned about climate change, I think probably about... 48, 49% were prepared to vote on it or make it a priority of their vote and not the other 30%. Mm. So I think, you know, it depends on where you put it as your priority of your vote. And I think the more real the impacts become for people, the higher that will go on your, you know, your order of priority in what are the issues that matter the most to you when you decide on who you vote. And, and at the end of the day, majority will put a certain party into government. Yeah. So. I do think the summer we've had, the really poor air pollution, the bushfires, I mean, I don't think anyone will ever forget that we had the first climate refugees really on the beaches of Malakuta being evacuated by our defence forces because their towns are overrun by bushfire. Now, we know that there's a royal commission into the bushfires and the causes and impacts, but the warning has been there for months that, you know, due to global warming, drier conditions, hotter, drier years successively, we are going to have greater, more frequent bushfire seasons. Now, 
I've met with Greg Mullins and the fire chiefs and they've talked me through the data that they rely on when they look at these situations. They've explained to me, you know, what the impact of dry seasons have and longer dry seasons. And they are absolutely certain in terms of the increased frequency, the increased period of time, the increased impact of the fire seasons and and that's just going to be an increased disruption in our future. Now I think for Australian people they've now experienced that like much of the east coast of Australia spent four months shrouded in bushfire smoke watching communities having to be evacuated, businesses, livelihoods lost, lives lost, really profound impact. So all of a sudden this was not a theoretical problem for the future, you know, that there will be climate impacts, but these were happening here now and we are feeling it. We we can see it. We can, you know, we can smell it. We could taste it. So I think that is really important for people in terms of how this becomes a priority. And then it's also accepting opportunity, you know, that there is great opportunity in taking action. And we know now with the pandemic we're going to have to do, you know, something. I don't, look, I don't think the economy was in great shape before the pandemic, but it's certainly not in great shape now. You know, we are heading towards a recession. It's going to take intervention by government to lift us out of a recession. The RBA has been really clear in saying that, that a return to business as usual will not do it. It's going to take more than that. So that presents Scott Morrison with an incredible opportunity. Mm. You know, to really invest in our future. Now, is he going to be brave enough and courageous enough? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, you are, there, there are times in history and there's times and opportunities. I know many in the coalition, you know, really look to other past political leaders and they are many leaders who have known how to, you know, rise up to the occasion and seize the moment ensure a legacy for the future, you know, taking decisions, not just the small decisions that are short-term pandering to vested interests, but the long, long-term long decisions that have profound impact on the well-being of, of our community. Yeah, who doesn't want a statue uh, at you know the world's biggest <laughs> solar farm in Northern Territory? Who doesn't who doesn't want the you know their name for the next three hundred years? Like Hoover's always got a dam. Hoover will always have a dam. You know, so people listening to this show, I mean, I, I, I can see there's probably a fair amount of bias in the people who've already listened to this podcast because I do talk about climate quite a bit, and it has become a place where people can access information and access kind of a, a rational conversation that is acknowledging of the extraordinary challenges we face, but also one that isn't just all based in fear. There is a conversation about prosperity and opportunity on the other side of this. What can people do to help this get voted in, Zali? Yeah, look, well, one of the things I've called for is for a free vote. So what that means is if the government, you know, won't come on board and make this adopt it as a policy and and support the bill. And I'm certainly having those conversations and encouraging the government to do that. You know, I'm very willing to work with government for them to introduce the climate change bill and put Australia on on a safer path. But if they can't do it as a government because maybe division in the party room and we know there's certainly, um, you know, there is a minority that really is prepared to, uh, you know, if I can use Malcolm Turnbull's words, blow up the joint if they can get their way, 
The alternative is a free vote, which means every MP votes in accordance to their conscience. Now, we saw a free vote when it came to the same-sex marriage vote, and I think this is as important or more, more important an issue because it goes to the heart of our future and our safety. So what your listeners can do is go to their local MP and really have that discussion. Don't just be fobbed off with a, you know, a rote email reply, but when restrictions are lifted or even now, ask for a Zoom meeting, ask for a, a discussion on, on why. And don't just accept the, the party line rhetoric and really press them for, well, what are you individually representing our area? And if you know that where you live is an area that really wants action, then what are you going to do? Because is party lines, you know, should not overshadow your, ultimately your duty to your electorate. And, and that's why the website climateactnow.com.au is important because it's essentially running a plebiscite around the country. You can access the data of your electorate of how many people have signed on and it can show really, it's very representative of all of Australia in showing what areas are more attuned to maybe climate concerns compared to others. And we've facilitated it so you can write to your local MP uh, and suggest other measures. The most important thing you can do is be aware of exactly the position your local MP is going to take they are accountable and really you know, you have to be conscious. Your vote matters. We will have another election in 2022. If there's one thing I've learned from my fellow MPs down in Canberra, the one thing they all care about above all else is that they want to have a job after the next election. <laughs> so <laughs> believe me, they do. So at the end of the day, you, people have the power because your vote matters. Every vote counts. So be aware of the issues, have the discussions with other people, write to your local radio station, TV networks, you know, you have choice, you have power as a consumer and really uh, demand accountability of your representatives. I think it's really important. Uh, thank you so much for the reminder. I, I I just had a look in my inbox. I I did message my local MP Dave Sharma, and they wrote back to me about a week later and said, "Oh yeah, COVID nineteen. We might not be. We, we do want to have a chat, but I'm I'm going to write to him again." In Wentworth, there is a very strong group actually that, ironically, called the Plight Australians who are very much pushing for more stronger action on climate action. And look, Dave Sharma is your classic one. You know, he succeeded against an independent, Karen Phelps, but he very much promised that during the election that he was going to be strong and take action on climate change. But yet, since being there, I must say, I've you know, discussed it with him and many others, his view has been, well, you know, if China and India aren't doing it and we're only 1.3%, so what can we really do? Now, I don't think that's what you were all told at the election. So, look, well, he, he and I have had a bit of sparring, you know, on social media on this, but I think at the end of the day, every electorate needs to hold their representatives accountable. And if they don't deliver or stay true to the position they put to you, then you have to hold them accountable. The whole 1% argument, or 1.3, I think it is, if we, like, say, we've, we've got about 10 years to get the a very significant decrease in the carbon that's in the atmosphere, the net zero 2050 is, is a big goal, but the bigger goal is the very short-term one, and it's exceedingly urgent. Let's say, for example, that goal is 30% emissions. If, as a globe, we got to 28.7, and then everyone turned around and said, how come we didn't make it? And there's us, just with a piece of coal on fire, going, what? 
It was our fault. Oh, I know. <laughs> Absolutely. And look at this whole argument of, oh, we're only one. It, well, A, it's false. In terms, it, it starts from a false premise in terms of the numbers. Yeah. But it's also... We don't take that approach with a pandemic. You don't say to every individual, well, you're only 1% of your population, so your actions won't matter. It's quite the opposite. What we're saying to people is each and every one of us has a duty and a responsibility to do the social distancing, to comply with the regulations, to make sure we're doing the hand washing and the hygiene, to make sure that we, the buck stops at us so that we do not transmit or increase the risk of transmission of the virus. Well, it is exactly the same thing, you know, from a micro to a macro level when it comes to our emissions. We have just as much responsibility as a nation as the individual does in our health pandemic. So, um, yeah, look, I have no time for that argument. And I think it's a petty argument. I think I put that one with the carryover credit one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that blows my mind. Well, Zali, I know you spent a lot of time of your life just, and I, I'm now never, ever, ever going to be a Slaylands here, right? But I, <laughs> I adore being in the mountains. I adore being in the snow. I adore being amongst the aspens or amongst those fantastic little trees in Japan or the rocks if I'm in New Zealand. It's nothing like it being on that adventure. I grew up in Brisbane, you know, so there was no snow to speak of. So to lose those kinds of habitats, to lose those kinds of precious, precious, precious resources would be absolute, absolute tragedy. And I, I know that when you're, you say your youngest is 14, when like it's only 30 years and, and he'll be my age or plus two years, he'll be uh, 32 years, he'll be my age. I would want him to go skiing. I want my boy to go skiing. My boy's eight months old. I want him to be skiing when he's 30. It's not just jobs and growth. It's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it's absolutely everything that we know. And so there's, there really is truly nothing more important than this conversation, Zali. So I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today. Despite the technical issues, we persevered, we got through. We did indeed. But we're all resilient and resourceful, <laughs> so we have potential. And I, I want to I, I put this on record, Zali. I am absolutely at your service. Whatever you need, do not hesitate to reach out. I will be calling on you. Well, you've got my number. <laughs> you've got one. I called you on Absolutely. my phone. This is this is my private phone. I don't have a work phone. They're the same thing. So I'm at your service, Ali. Have a fantastic day. And when we can, if we ever can, I'm sure we can, you must come around and watch Bachelor at our house. Oh, yes. It's super fun. You'll have to come around and, and sit on the couch and, you know, wine and cheese uh, with Audrey. And I do a bit of a director's commentary as the, as the show goes out. I've got a 14-year-old boy who will love to hear the behind the scenes story. Oh, it's, it's wild. It's wild fun. It's wild fun. All right. Stay in touch. All right. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks a lot. That is independent member for Warringah, Zali Stegel. She is putting the Climate Act to Parliament on the 9th of November 2020. It's extraordinarily important that you let your member of parliament know, no matter where you are in the country, no matter who's sitting in your seat, you've got to let them know. Let them know that you are concerned about the future. You need them to support this bill. You need to probably do multiple actions there. You're going to need to make a phone call, call their office, send them an email, write them a letter. Do those, or send them a fax. I send faxes. They're great. They get responses. Do those four things. It'll take you 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and it'll 
absolutely make a, make a difference. It'll absolutely make a difference. Like I said earlier at the start of the show, if you live in an electorate with only, I don't know, 30,000 people in your electorate, in your seat, right? If 300, 400 people in that electorate all write to their MP and say this thing, that's a big deal, all right? That's a wide swathe of the community. Let them know why you're concerned. Let them know that, you know, I look at the future and I look at my kids, put some emotion in there. Let them know because we've got to do this. This is only the start, but we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives and it's important that we start today. So please support Zali, climateactnow.com.au. Thank you so much for um, understanding the audio quality of the show, but I felt I felt the message was too important to not air it. I'm big on good audio quality, but sometimes you just got to get it out there. Thanks for being with me today. You can check out Dad Pod on Wednesday with me and Charlie Clawson, and I'll be on Twitch uh, later in the week to do my Friday show. So if you want to come and join in and be a part of the Friday show, that's where you'll find me, twitch.tv slash Ginsburg. You can always get me on Cameo if you need me to shout out a video to your whoever. Super easy. We're raising money for the FRRR.org.au. Until then, I'm going to go down and um, I'm going to put dinner in a baby's mouth. Uh, well, I'm going to try to put dinner in a baby's mouth. The dinner will probably end up on his bib, on the high chair, and in the dog's mouths. But we've got to give it a shot. All right. I love you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Andy, for helping me make the show. Thank you, Rachel, for helping me make the show. Thank you, Haley, for all the social work. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Andy. Without the two of you, I'd be stuffed. And thank you, Mike Mills whose new album, Toe Hider's new album, is fucking amazing, by the way. Uh, if you want to get onto Spotify and go and check out Toe Hider, who made all the make- makes available music for all my podcasts, uh, go and check out Toe Hider's stream on Spotify and check his new record because it is bananasly good. All right, I've got to go. Until we speak next time, sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. Beautiful things.